Let's turn in the Scriptures to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 10. This evening we're reading verses in Isaiah chapter 10 verses 5 through 19. Isaiah 10 verses 5 through 19. Let's turn now to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, once again we come pleading for your help as we desire to hear you speak. We desire to hear your voice that shaketh even the wilderness. And so, Father, grant us now the blessing of hearing, but more than the physical need of hearing, we need all the faculties of the mind to work with all the mechanisms in our body that You've made to work in processing all the information, all these things, even our blood to move, our heart to continue. But even we need that information then move spiritually to our hearts by You alone, by Your Spirit. And our wills changed and affected even unto our affections, our emotions. And so grant us a greater wisdom and knowledge and understanding of Your Word, how to live in relation to You, the great sovereign God over all. And cause us to see Jesus, Your Son, we pray in His name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, these are God's words. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against an hypocritical nation, against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but it is his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. For he saith, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kalno as Carchemish? Is not Hamath as Arpad? Is not Samaria as Damascus? As my hand hath found the kingdom's of the idols, and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria. Shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed His whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. For he saith, by the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved the wing, or opened the mouth, or peeped. 
Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up? Or as if the staff should lift up itself? As if it were no wood? Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among His fat ones leanness. And under His glory He shall kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and His holy one for a flame. And it shall burn and devour His thorns and His briars in one day. And shall consume the glory of His forest and of His fruitful field, both soul and body. And they shall be as when a standard bearer fainteth. And the rest of the trees of His forest shall be few, that a child may write them. And those are God's words. Again, uh, Judah has refused to be allies with Israel and Syria, choosing Assyria, if you remember, instead of the Lord to put their alliance with or allegiance with. And the Lord had promised that He would protect Judah when Israel and Syria came up against them, but they still, Judah went to Assyria and trusted in them. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, who have committed great acts of idolatry, choosing to be against God's people and or choosing foreign alliances rather than Jehovah as their God, now come to be judged. The Lord brings judgment. It should be no surprise to any of you that the Lord judged both Israel by Assyria and Judah by Assyria and later Babylon. Both are taken into exile at different times. But this evening we have, as we've been looking at both Israel and Judah, we in many ways now turn to Assyria to focus a little bit on them. This international power, the great nation of its time in the 700s B.C., Assyria. And what do we know? Great nations do not stand forever. That we know from, at least by the testimony of history. And there's a reason for that. We're going to learn the reason for that this evening. The first point this evening, the Lord's sovereign over nations. The Lord's sovereign over nations. Verse 5, it says, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. So he's talking about is the nation of Assyria. And who is speaking here? It's the Lord, Jehovah. Jehovah says, Assyria is the rod of my anger. Who is in complete sovereign control of wicked nations of the earth? The answer is right here. It is the Lord of hosts. Assyria is His instrument of discipline and judgment. Discipline, you see, Assyria is God's rod and staff. You see it there in verse 5. He's God's rod and staff. A rod to beat, to scourge, and direct His people. One theologian said, Assyrian, Assyria is, a, is God's club. A club in God's hand to beat His disobedient people. Assyria is Jehovah's rod. It's also His staff. The executioners, the executioners of the Lord's vengeance 
we find here would be Assyria. It's interesting, one man also said about this passage, God is able to use heathen nations to carry out His purposes against Israel and Judah. And of course, if you know me, and if uh, hopefully most, most of you, that may rub you a little bit the wrong way, because God, the truth is, God is not just able, He's not just able, He is completely sovereign over all nations. He's not just able to use heathen nations, He does use heathen nations. All nations. Because He's sovereign over them. He sovereignly directs them with His sovereign hand. And even to bring judgments upon His church, upon His people, because of their idolatry. But here, we see upon nations. And even His covenanted nation. Particularly uh, Judah, but also we see some language here about Israel as well. And He does this against this nation. Why is Jehovah doing this? Verse 6, we're told in verse 6, I will send Him against an hypocritical nation and against the people of My wrath will I give Him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Jehovah is doing this because His covenant people are godless. They are a hypocritical nation. In our passage, the Lord reveals that Assyria is being used of the Lord against Israel and particularly against Judah in verses 9 through 11. What's wrong with Judah? Jehovah says, I will send him, Assyria, against an hypocritical nation. They're hypocritical. They're ungodly. They've sinned against the Lord. They're idolaters. They've removed their allegiance to the Lord and they've given it to Assyria. So he's going to give them Assyria. Well, all the more for Judah as a covenanted nation to the Lord, the judgment, the discipline is going to be greater. Just as we heard with baptism, right? For the God's covenant people, the judgment, if there is a judgment unto you, is always greater. Because you know more. Because you know who the Lord is. You know the gospel. You know the promises. You know all the blessings of being His. Whereas the world doesn't know those things. And so the judgment... Or you're held to a greater account because of what you know by experience and in your mind. Judah was a hypocritical nation. But it's the Lord who is sovereign over that nation of Assyria which is going to come against Judah and Israel. It looks like they are, if we just uh, were there at the time, Assyria looks like this big, bad, meanie nation. They're just power hungry, right? And they are. It looks a lot like the stereotype of our nation to other nations. When other nations think of our nation, they often think of this big, bad, meanie nation that likes to go around and cause war and and whatnot. At least that's a stereotype, I think. Verse 7, Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but it's in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. This is talking about Assyria. For he saith, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kauno as Carchemish? 
It's not Hamath as Arpad. It's not Samaria as Damascus. As my hand hath found the kingdoms of the idols and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? Well, that's how Assyria thinks. They are prideful people. So why are they attacking Judah? Because they can. They want to. That's what they want to do. That's what their heart is to do. Move to do. The heart of Assyria is to destroy and cut off nations. Many nations, not a few. Here's what they say, boasting in their powerful princes, saying, our princes are kings compared to everybody else. In 717 B.C., thinking of verse 9, 717 B.C., before Assyria, the Assyrians attacked city, uh, they were attacking city by city, uh, going over, destroying whatever. And it says, consider Kalanel, Hamath, uh, Hamath, and Samaria. These will fall to Assyria just like Carchemish did, and Arpad did, and Damascus did. Carchemish was a, a fort city guarding the Euphrates, uh, a major Euphrates River crossing. And the Assyrians defeated them in 717 B.C. Arpad is captured by the Assyrians 745 BC or 754 BC, totally destroyed in 740 BC. Damascus was continually attacked by the Assyrians, culminating, if you remember, chapter Isaiah chapter 8, verse 4, that the Assyrians taking all of their spoil, taking their spoil from Damascus. But it was that Syria would fall, as it's describing here. Syria would fall, so would Israel. But the boasting of Assyria is not over. As you go through those verses 7 through 11, they're boasting, and they continue boasting. Not only has Assyria defeated these cities and nations, but which prove, right, it's the logical conclusion, well, they're going to take these other cities too. But they, they conquered their gods as well, verse 10. Nations with far more physical gods and idols than Israel and Judah. They've destroyed them. And because they have so many more physical idols and gods, false gods, right, children? False gods. Well, they look at Judah and they say, well, come on, this is going to be easy. They don't have, they just have, you know, a few false gods right now. And so just as Assyria did to Samaria with Israel and her idols, so he would do with Judah, or they would do, and boasting that they will do to Judah and all her gods. You see, friends, the boastfulness, the pride of Assyria. And what do they believe? They believe that they will conquer nations and Judah too. And what do other nations see when looking at Assyria? Probably something like, again, we think of the stereotype of what other nations look like. Uh, think about when they think of our nation. When we want whatever we want, this nation can come in and believes they will destroy anyone and everyone. So many believe, uh, nations believe this, boasting in themselves. We boast in ourselves, don't we, as a nation? But what is true? We need to step back and we see what the Lord is teaching the nation. 
The nation like Assyria coming against even his own covenant people and nations, his covenant nations, he's saying, it's me. It's not Assyria. It's me, Jehovah, who sends nations upon other nations. And it's me, Jehovah, who sends nations upon my covenant people, covenant nations like Judah. And I send them, verse 6, because they're a hypocritical, godless nation. They've rejected me. They've rebelled against me. Even there in verse 6, remember, you can't see this, sadly, in your English translations. But remember the name of Isaiah's son, Mahershalah Hashbaz. That's there in verse 6. You can't see it, but it's there in the words used. Isaiah's son from chapter 8, he he was named that to show how quickly, do you remember? How quickly and ruthlessly the Assyrian army will descend upon the land of Judah and how rapidly it will take all of Judah's riches away and plunder it. The Shalal, Mahar Shalal, that second part of his name. Shalal means to loot. And the last part of his name, Baz, the Baz means to plunder. You should be able to see that in your... In verse 6, to loot and to plunder, some words like that. Those are the same words, all right, from his, that name of Isaiah. And so it is the Lord in his wrath who gives the charge, the command to take the spoil, shalal, and to take the prey or the plunder, baz. So Assyria is coming to loot, the loot and plunder the plunder. But who promised that it that in chapter eight through the meaning of Mahershalah Hashbaz? It was the Lord. Jehovah, before it ever occurred, which grounds the point that the Lord is sovereign over nations. Not only over covenanted nations like Israel or like Judah, but over all nations, even enemy nations, to his people who will come and judge or try to destroy them. The Lord's sovereign over it, and they will do it. Why will they do it? Because the Lord sends them. We see that clearly in the passage. He's sovereign. He sends them. It's the Lord who says, 2 Kings 18, the Lord said to me, go against this land and destroy it. And so in respect to the justice of God, this is God's work. But in respect to Assyria's own malice, it is the work of the devil attacking the covenant people of God. And so have you considered, you need to consider, have you considered the tyrants of the world, the nations of the world are but tools of God's sovereign providence. Men, princes, kings, are in God's hand. Sometimes they're, they are His sword, right, especially leaders in government. They are His sword to kill and the slay. Psalm 17, it says, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. The wicked is the Lord's sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord. From men of the world which have their portion in this life and whose belly thou fillest. Who fills it? Thou does, Lord. Thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. Assyria, verse 7, is the rod of Jehovah's anger. 
The staff in their hand is the Lord's indignation, His wrath. Assyria is implored by Jehovah. All the power that wicked men have, they, though often they, they use it against God, they always receive from Him. Pilate, the Roman Pilate, could have no power against Christ unless it was given to him by God. John 19, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against Me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Now you might be concerned about our own nation, but you can draw comfort in the fact that Jehovah is sovereignly ruling and in control over this nation and all nations. You might have concern about Russia or China or whatever. The Lord is sovereign over these nations. Sovereign over the nations you come from. South Sudan and Mexico and Brazil. He's sovereign over these nations. He's in control. He's the one who puts nations' leaders in place. Romans 13. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. The beginning and end of nations is all in the hands of the sovereign God who sits in heaven. And we know also, thankfully, Christ the mediator is using those wicked leaders as the mediator to bring those evil citizens of all those nations into His kingdom. He orders it and sovereignly rules and reigns so as to grow His kingdom. Praise the Lord. The sovereign, the Lord's sovereign over nations. And what nations is He sovereign over? All nations. All nations. The second point, the Lord's sovereign over judgment. The Lord's sovereign over judgment. You might ask, what about Assyria? What becomes of them since they're going to judge, as God's instrument, Judah, His covenant people? Do you think the Lord will avenge His covenant people? even though they've been acting rebelliously in, wicked, in wickedness, etc. You remember how Assyria boasted in great pride in verses 11 through, or 7 through 11? Well, that doesn't stop. The pride continues, verse 13. It says, For he saith, By the strength of... Notice how many times he uses the first person. By the strength of my hand, I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people. And if we're in the Hebrew, uh, it would you continue to using that I language. But of course, in English, it keeps being repetitive, so they take it out sometimes. Uh, and it would be, I have robbed their treasures. It says in the translation, I have and, and have robbed their treasures. And I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth. And there was none that moved the wing, or opened the mouth, or peeped. I did this. I did that. And on and on. You see, the pride of Assyria is so great. The boasting so great. The king boasts, the great boasting. He talks about what he's done, what he's done, 
nine times in those two verses. It wasn't because of Jehovah, but the king of Assyria. Myself, right? The king of Assyria, he boasts. Friends, those, those who attack God's covenant people are always judged. We know that from other parts of Scripture. They always, uh, the Lord seeks His vengeance upon them. Always. Even when He sends them upon His people, like He does with Assyria here, later with Babylon, He judges those who judge His people. Always. Because of their own sins. He comes in vengeance because they attack His people. But why will Jehovah judge Assyria from our passage? Because of their pride. The first point we learned, Assyria will go up against and judge Judah for one main reason, Judah's sin. The ultimate cause of that judgment is Jehovah, who's sovereign, would send them to do the judgment. Because Assyria is then boasting in themselves, and they're not exalting and glorifying the sovereign God, Jehovah, as they must do. He says, I will judge them, Assyria, too. Verse 12, Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed His whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem. Now who judged? It was Jehovah through the instrument of Assyria. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed His whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. Why? He goes on in what we already read, verses 13 and 14, to show what it was that he's going to come in vengeance against Assyria for because of their pride and their boasting. And so because of that, the Lord will judge Assyria too. And so you go back to the first point, the Lord's sovereign over nations. Do you think the Lord ignores the thoughts of the nations And their leaders, does he ignore the thoughts and uh, of nations and the leaders of this nation or of that nation, whatever nation you want to think of? He does not. Those nations not covenanted to him, do you think he does not consider them? Our nation's allegiance is not Jehovah. But does the Lord consider this nation, the leaders of this nation, the, their, and her boastfulness and their pride? He's, he's showing here, oh yes, He very much considers our nation. He very much considers all nations. All nations and their leaders' thoughts and their intentions. He considers every single one. There's not one nation that He is not considering and looking upon. And is sovereignly ruling over. In chapter 13 of Isaiah verse 11, it says this, And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will cause their arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. The boastful boast without taking into account what is the mind of the Lord. His intention is to use here in our passage Assyria as the rod of his anger, the staff of his indignation, then to visit that proud and boastful nation as well in judgment. And yet first, verse 12, first the Lord will will perform his whole work upon Mount Zion 
and Jerusalem. That is, first he will judge Judah. The Lord in His sovereign purposes and providence will first come against His covenant people and followed by His sovereign visitation upon the very means that He used in that judgment of His covenant people. And so all those wicked nations out there, including our friends, those covenants to the Lord and those not, all who rebel against Him, what we see here is that their attitude, their actions, like Assyria, will ultimately not go unpunished. And so think more now of what Assyria is doing, the logic of it, because that's what the Lord points us to in verse 15. Think of the logic that they're using. Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod should shake, should shake itself against them that lift it up, or as if the staff should lift up itself, as if it were no wood? Does an axe, does a saw, does a rod, does a staff boast in power of itself? No, not without someone wielding the axe. Someone has to wield the saw. Someone has to take up the rod and the staff. They lay there. If they don't, they're just laying there on the ground. They're just there wherever it is. And they don't move until someone picks it up and wields them or uses them. They don't do anything. They're not living. That's Assyria. That's what Assyria is thinking of itself. That they're the axe, they're the rod, and they think they're in complete control. And they boast in themselves. That's Assyria. If they're unable to do anything, the prominence, any prominence, any power that they have on earth as, as it was for a moment in history is all we know by the Lord's sovereign decrees and His providence. The problem with great worldly powers like Assyria, we could add in America, credit always goes to themselves. Ourselves. Motivation... Their motivation is always, seems like, greed, ambition, more things, destruction. Assyria needed to realize that as an instrument in the hand of the Lord, they should not boast in their own strength. They should have bowed to the Lord and gave Him all the praise for the power and strength He gave them. And you say, that's ridiculous, it's Assyria. A pagan nation, doesn't matter. That's what they should do, must do. When they don't, but rather boast, as all powerful nations seem to do, in themselves, the Lord comes in judgment. And so the proper response is to say with the psalmist, Psalm 9, Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. And verse 16, Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among His fat ones leanness, And under His glory He shall kindle a burning, like the burning of a fire. Their promise again, they're the promise again that Assyria, though full of pride, will come to nothing. They're going to be judged. The body will rot away to nothing. Though they're fat and they take much spoil because they're taking on all these nations, they're going to come to nothing. 
body's going to rot away. And so, it seems to speak of some massive disease that will come upon Assyria and their glory will be consumed in fire. Their buildings, all their glories of the Assyrian kingdom will come to nothing. Verse 17 tells us more about this flame. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire and His Holy One for a flame. And it shall burn and devour His thorns and His briars in one day. The same God, it is a rejoicing light to those who serve Him faithfully, will be a consuming fire to those who trifle with Him or rebel against Him in their pride. The light of Israel shall be for a fire to the Assyrians. And so uh, the same pillar of cloud uh, was a light to the Israelites, a terror to the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Who can oppose such a judgment by the sovereign Lord of heaven? You remember, friends, that our God is a consuming fire? The thorns and the briars, the armies will be consumed to nothing. They will try to stop the fire, but the only thing they would do would be to cause the flames to rise up more and burn hotter. In verse 18, even this goes to soul and body. Not just the body, but soul and body. And shall consume the glory of His forest and of His fruitful field, both soul and body. And they shall be as one a standard bearer fainteth. You know, when the standard bearer falls, all the hope is lost in battle. One said this, God is able to destroy both soul and body. Right, Thinking of Matthew 10, which we're going to read in a second. God is able to destroy both soul and body, and therefore we should fear Him more than man, like Assyria, who can but kill the body. Great armies before Him are but as great woods, which He can fell or fire when He pleases. That reminds us again to be watchful. Again, Matthew 10 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And in verse 19, And the rest of the trees of His forest shall be few that a child may write them. And the ultimate outcome of Assyria, their end will be that even a child could number them. Right? Think of a child, how, how high they can count as a toddler or whatever. Even a child could count them and write them down. The Lord's sovereign over judgment. So what do we learn from this passage? Besides what we've already considered. What does this mean for the Christian? What does it mean for the church? First, evil is often found claiming too much for itself. Assyria, evil is often found claiming too much for itself. Assyria would eventually fold into Babylon with little struggle because they're so few in number. All the boasting came to nothing. The sins of individuals, the sins of nations only continue to fall uh, eventually into the Lord's sovereign judgments. Remember the great king of Babylon, boastful, wasn't he? Daniel, Daniel, the book of Daniel. The Lord judged him, made him to be like a beast before taking all the power away from Babylon. The wicked prosper sometimes. 
And lots of the Psalms, lots of the Psalms are about that. There's a reason for that, because of how the wicked are. They often boast. They seem to be doing great all the time. And it was Asaph, remember? As God's using them as instruments, the wicked, that is, for the same purpose. It was Asaph who envied the wicked until, right, Psalm 73, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, and castest them down into destruction. Sometimes it seems Satan, for a moment, for a long time, is victorious. Remember even when the the one to be born in Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 9, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. Certainly Satan lies behind the attacks against Christ on earth when He came, right? But Satan boasted too much. Jesus destroyed His power and His works. Assyria too. And yet the Lord shows He would destroy them completely. Second, the Lord uses the unbelieving and the wicked to accomplish His plan and purpose. Peter was preaching uh, at Pentecost. He reminds them of the death of Jesus Christ, which was the, for the salvation of all who believe on Christ, right? And how did that take place? The premeditated murder and scheming of the Pharisees and priests, the great crowds there before Pilate at the Passover, even Pilate himself, and on and on we could go on about all these different people who took part as Satan used them to crucify Jesus Christ and put Him to death. And in Acts 2, Peter's preaching and he says Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be holden of it. The Lord can and does use those who don't love Him to carry out His sovereign purposes, even our salvation, so that we know with confidence that nothing can frustrate His plan, what He's determined to do. Third, without God, the greatest and the mightiest are nothing. Without God, the greatest and mightiest are nothing. The kings of Assyria, Nebuchadnezzar, we go on and on. Uh, Today, in our nation, I don't know, maybe you think of Soros and Bill Gates and the President and his administration and many governing officials. We can think of Putin and the Chinese dude. I don't know his name. Uh, All these greatest powers of all the world in all times have all done and become what? They've all been reduced to nothing. Because they boasted in themselves. And God judged them at the proper time. They believed their strength was all, is all their own. Like even Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26, when he was strong, it says, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. He became proud, boasted, and he was lifted to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord as the king to burn incense upon the altar of incense, which was against God's command. And the Lord struck him, what? With leprosy. And he had that leprosy until he died. Proverbs 11 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. 
Then fourth, pride is a failure to acknowledge God. Very simply, that's what Assyria did. They did not acknowledge God. Same as Judah at the time, same as Israel. They did not acknowledge God. That's what pride is. It's a failure to do that. Assyria boasted because they refused to acknowledge the Lord. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the same. The same for us, friends, when, when many of the problems we face derive from a failure to submit to God's ultimate sovereignty over us. The God who reveals Himself in this chapter, in verse 16, is the Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Verse 17, He's the Holy One. And verse 5 and verse 6, He's the Judge. In verse 5, He is wrath. This is a God to be reckoned with. Revelation 1 says, I am He that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. He, the Lord, has the power of life and death. And since Assyria refused to acknowledge Jehovah to be their God, as the God, they were judged. Some of this may terrify you. Right, we think of our nation, we think of all these great nations and these people and boasting in yourself, but it only terrifies you, it only should terrify you, terrify you if you don't know this God. If you don't know this God, you should be ultimately, you should be completely, in other words, sorry, uh, terrified, frightened, fearful of the judgment. This evening is the time to come unto Him and no longer live a life of boastful pride, because, you know, we're not, none of us are nations, we're not leaders of nations. But in application to us individually and as the church, the church is the same, a corporate body, we must acknowledge Him. We must give Him the thanks, we must give Him the praise, we must give Him the glory, or we'll be struck down. Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't give God the glory. Or was it someone else? I forget, sorry. But as a sinner... You have one recourse, and that is to turn to Him by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is according to His, who according to His determinate counsel and foreknowledge, Jesus was delivered up unto death. So all who believe on Him would have life forever. Acknowledge Him. Bow before Him. Put your allegiance in Him. And you'll have life forever. And that must be you. You must come turning from your sins in faith. To Christ, But if you refuse in your pride to acknowledge Him, He tells us, He teaches us, you will be judged, you will be consumed with that eternal fire, the consuming fire of who God is in His judgments unto eternal death. And so humble yourself. Church, humble yourselves before the great and powerful God of judgment and wrath. The holy God of judgment who is a consuming fire, the just judge, the God full of wrath. And trust Him to save you. Church, trust in the Lord. And He will be your Savior in Christ Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And that's our calling as a church. Not just as individuals, that's as a church. As the church throughout the world, that's the calling of the church. To bow before Christ and acknowledge Him. And if we do, we are saved from judgment and we have peace with God. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, You are a God full of 
wrath, justice, as You are the righteous and holy God. And we sinners come now to You pleading for Your mercy. We humbly come, bowing our hearts to You, because You are the God with whom we have to do. And so we come to You. And we come not of our own righteousness, we come in the righteousness of Christ alone. And so receive us for His sake. And spare us. Thank You for delivering over Your Son, not sparing Him, but You delivered Him over for us all, that in Him we might have all things, and yet be saved from judgment and condemnation forever. And so grant that to each one of us here, even our children, that Your name would be praised. And so move us away from pride and boasting in self. And to acknowledge all of our strength, all of our power, all of our riches, everything that we have is from You. That this nation is under Your sovereign providence and control. That every nation is. And we have nothing to fear, even if the world is seemingly coming down all around us. And our nation is being destroyed and judged. Cause us to look to You and humble ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.